Good morning. I want to welcome you. I want to say, man, it's good to see you. Next week is Memorial Day, and I know you guys probably have plans and things like that, but thanks for coming today, and I just want to say welcome. I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. Thank you so much for joining us. We are so glad that you have uh, tuned in, and um, if you're a guest here this morning, I just want to say, uh, if you're looking for a church home, I would encourage you, I would beg you, okay, to consider making Central Community Church your permanent church home. Right after the service, if you would go out to the um, guest services, we've got some information for you. It'll give you what you need to make a, dis- a good decision, and uh, I'll be praying for you and just praying that God would lead you to that place that he would have you to go. Wasn't that cool with those baptisms? Wasn't that awesome? That was cool. So one of them, we got to baptize one of Wichita's finest, a police officer, and then an entire family, and in that, Jelene is... 84 years old, and this is the first time she's been baptized. Isn't that awesome? I just love that so much. That's so cool. And so I want to thank you, Central Community, for allowing us to do that. That's what you allow us to do. And if it weren't for you, we wouldn't be able to do that. And so you have a part in that. And so thank you um, that we got to baptize those people. And now they're wearing the jersey for Jesus. Okay, so today now we're coming to the end of our series on the book of James. And it's called A Work in Progress. And I know that from all of the emails that I've been getting this last week, I know that a lot of you are pretty excited about the fact that this is the last week. (laughs) I want to thank all of you who told me I have cramped your style when it came to the speed limit. But I want you to know that I'm, I'm right there with you, okay? But uh, so we're going to bring this to a close. And I know, I know this has been a a hard, um, a hard book to study because James is just pretty much in your face, and he tells us everything that we need to know to become the man and the woman that God expects us to be. And, and don't you want to know the truth? That's what you want to know, right? The truth. Because if we know the truth, then we have the standard by which we know we're supposed to live our lives, and that's what James is, is focused on. Now, you remember who James was. He was the half-brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and he was the pastor at the church in Jerusalem. And I just want to remind you, he is writing this letter to all of his former prisoners that in Acts chapter 12, when Herod, when he arrested Peter and James, it's a different James, the apostle James, when he arrested Peter and James, remember, he killed James. James then became the very first martyr, and it made everybody excited about the fact he pleased the people, and so the persecution hit the church, and the people were spread all over the region. And so James is writing this letter to them, and he's telling them, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, there's something that expected. And what is that? Growth. It's not only necessary, but it's expected. We don't just live on milk from the day that we are born. We grow to where we begin to eat meat and all of those things. And that's what the book of James is all about. In this book, James tackles some pretty difficult issues. And he just kind of tells us, here's the issue and here's the wisdom that I want you to have so that you know how you can continue to, you, to you in your growth. But we all need to understand is growth is not fun and it's not necessarily easy. In fact, whenever we grow, we have to sacrifice and that's what James wants us to know. And I know you're going to be excited about today's lesson because he saves the best for last. And so I want to kind of begin with just kind of a story to kind of set the mood for what we're going to be talking about today. There's a story of a farmer 
and he was an atheist. But he wasn't just an atheist, he was a very bold and he was a very enthusiastic atheist. And so he decided that he was going to write the newspaper one day and he was going to write them and tell them about an experiment that he had been doing in his fields. So he wrote the letter to the newspaper and the newspaper got the letter, the editor read it, and then he wrote back to him, so please, do tell, tell us about the experiment that you are doing in your field. Well, the farmer wrote back and he said, I want you to know that I, I, I plowed my fields on a Sunday. And then I planted my fields on a Sunday. And then I fertilized my fields on a Sunday. And last of all, but not least, I need you to know that I harvested all my crops on a Sunday. You see, when all of the rest of the farmers were in church, I was in my field working. Now, this atheist was very proud of the fact that he did not feel like he needed to adhere to the, to the laws of the land or on what the Lord would have us to do on the Sabbath, and he was very boastful about that. Well, when the newspaper editor got the letter, then he wrote back to the man. He said, well, tell me, so what were the results? Well, the farmer wrote back to him, and he said, I want you to know that I had more bushels of wheat per acre than any other farmer in all of this land in the month of October. When the newspaper editor got the, the letter from him, he just kind of paused, and he waited for a little while, and then he wrote him back, and he didn't write much, but this is what he said, and you'll be able to tell that the newspaper editor was a believer. And then he said this, Dear Sir, God does not settle all his accounts in the month of October. He has eternity. That's the message that James has for us today. We serve a God who's watching, and he is living among us. And he just wants us to know that he will take care of all of our accounts, but it'll be in his time and not ours. So stand with me out of respect for God's word. As I read from James chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 7 and 8. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, Grant me the patience that I need to fulfill your will in everything that I do. And God, may, may, uh, may my eyes always be looking forward to your return. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated.
one of the things that I've always loved about the book of James is that he always gets right to the point. He doesn't mince any words. He gets right to the point, and he doesn't waste any time today either. And today, the subject that James wants to talk about is wealth. He wants to talk about money, okay? All right, now, I want to ask you a question. When you heard the fact that we were going to talk about wealth, we were going to talk about money, I want you to know that James is specifically talking about the rich. That's the, that's the direction that he's going. Now, you know what's funny about that is that as I look across all of the people here and up in the balcony, there are some of you that just kind of changed your body language. In other words, like, oh, good, he's not talking about me. In other words, I get the week off this week. I don't have to get my, my toes stepped on again by God's Word. I can take the Sunday off, so I'm just going to really enjoy this sermon. But I want you to know, before you feel that way, I want you to hear something else. So I learned, and I did learn this through my, my son-in-law, Pastor Aaron. Pastor Aaron has been a missionary, and he has traveled all over the world. And it's always been interesting that when you get to travel outside of the, of the United States and you see how the rest of the world lives, you recognize that we truly are a very blessed country. Sometimes you have to see it to believe it. And so I did some work this week and I did some studying and here's one of the things that I found. Did you know that if you made $60,000 in this last year, you made more money, you are richer than 99.5% of the people in the world. Isn't that amazing? Or what about this? If you made $40,000 a year, you are richer or made more money than 98% of the people in all of the world. Or let's say you had a bad year and you only made, you only made $20,000 this year. Did you know with $20,000, you are richer than 94% of the people in the, in the world? Well, what about if you just made $10,000 a year? That'd be a really bad year, wouldn't it? You know what we've learned is that if you made $10,000 a year, you are richer than 84% of the people in the world. This next statement is what really grabbed a hold of me. According to the global economy, seven out of 10 people in the world live on less than $10 a day. So let me go back to that question again. James is gonna to talk to the people who are rich. Is he talking to you and me? Yes, he is. Because according to those statistics, every one of us is a very wealthy person. The very first thing I want you to understand about what James is saying to us, and I want you to hear this loud and clear, having money is not a sin. Did you hear that? Having lots of money is not a sin. You can be a millionaire. You can be a billionaire, okay? It doesn't matter how much money you have. It's, that's not a sin. What the Bible tells us is, is that the problem happens when that money or your toys or whatever you have, when that begins to take first place in your heart, and the Bible says that is the root of all evil, right? In other words, when you put your money, when you put your, your material things before God, that's the time when it becomes wrong. Are we all good with that? All right, now, let's jump into this story now in, in the book of James, 
beginning at verse 1, and let's kind of find out what's happening here. It says, now listen, you rich people. So you know he's talking to us, right? He says, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and the moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Man, nothing like James getting right after it, right? You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. All right, so let's, let's just do a little bit of a quick history lesson about this so that you can understand what James is saying. In the Bible days, there were three things, there were three indications that you were rich. One of them was crops, another one was clothing, and the third one was gold and silver. So when we just read what we did, James tells us, he says, your crops are rotted, your clothing is moth-infested, and your gold and silver are corroded. So let me just make one point before we go any further. Can we all agree on this statement about our money? Money makes us feel safe. Would you agree with me? Okay, this means yes. I know that when I have money in the bank, I feel pretty good. There's times when I've said to my wife, you know what? Um, yeah, we can do that. If something were to happen, we have money in the bank, okay? I've also learned to be careful about how I say that. Because when my emphasis is on what I have accumulated, that's when I begin to veer off the road. And that's what James is talking about. He's talking about when we think that what we have is what's going to save us, James says, now you have to be aware of what potentially could happen. All right, now, in the days of the Bible, again, there were basically just two classes of people. There were the rich and there were the poor. Now, I want you to pay attention to what's happening here. James now gives us an example of what has been going on among his people that he wants us to be aware of. And here's the example. In the days of the Bible, a man would get up in the morning and he would go to the city square. He would go to the city square and he would wait for those who were rich, the wealthy farmers and things like that, to come into the city square, and that's where they would get hired. The farmer or the, the individual who was looking for the job, he would then go with the farmer to his place and he would work for that whole day. At the end of the day, he would go to the farmer and he would ask him for his wages. All right, so here's the story. So a man gets up early in the morning and he goes to the city gate and he gets hired by somebody and he goes to the farm and he works all day long. He goes to the farmer at the end of the day and he asks him, may I please have my wages? And the farmer says to him, I'm sorry, there was a mix-up at the bank. I can't pay you today. However, if you would please come back tomorrow, he said, I promise you, work tomorrow and then at the end of the day, I'll pay you for not only tomorrow, but I'll pay you for today. So the man goes home 
and his wife is waiting there for the wages. And she goes, he goes, honey, I don't have the money. He said that he would pay me tomorrow. Can you imagine, guys, the look that you would get from your spouses on that? Okay. I've got to put food on the table. I've got to feed the family. You know where I'm going with that. So the next day, the man gets up early and he goes to work. And the farmer says to him at the end of the day, when he comes for his wages, he says, I came for my wages for today and also yesterday. And the farmer says to me, he says, you're never going to believe this. He said, I can't pay you today. He said, they haven't taken care of what's taking place at the bank. And you know what? I'm, I'm sorry, but come back tomorrow. And I promise I'll pay you tomorrow at the end of the day. Okay. Now, this happens not only the next tomorrow, but the next day and the day after this. So now the man has worked five consecutive days, and the farmer owes him this money, and this man has had to deal with his wife, and his wife has told him probably, if you don't have your wages, don't come home. I don't know how it would be at your house, and I'm not saying that's how it would be at my house, <laughs> but you can imagine what's going on, okay? All right. So the man is a little upset with the farmer. You promised me that you were going to pay me. In fact, you owe me this. And the farmer says, you know what? I don't have to take that from anybody. You know what? I'm not even going to pay you what I owe you. Get off my land and don't ever come back. And then he gets his gooch squad to make sure that you are escorted off of the premises. All right, now. This is where James says we need to be, and he just simply wants to remind us is that the rich always have the advantage over the poor. Now, you and I know that, right? I mean, we're not, we're not foolish, and the same is true today. The rich always have. They can say, well, I'm going to take him to court. I'm going I'm to sue you for, for what you did or what you didn't do for me that you promised you were going to do. And you know what? A lot of times it says, take me to court. He says, because I'll just keep everything tied up and you're never going to get what you wanted in the first place, right? And so the rich always have had that advantage over the poor. And that's what James wants us to understand. But now James says, however, watch this, Okay. The Lord stands at the door. So James has now been working with these individuals. He's, he's got these people who are very, very wealthy. They were supposed to pay the man, and they could afford to pay him, but they just didn't pay him. And now James says, now listen, there are times in your life when, guess what? You're going to have things that are going to happen to you that are unfair. You're going to feel like somebody has taken advantage of you. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe a teacher gave you a bad grade that you didn't deserve. You know what? I'm going to get even. I'm going to rip them apart on Facebook. Or maybe it's, you know, my boss promised me this, and you know what? It didn't happen. And this is what James says. When that happens, remember, the Lord stands at the door. What does he mean by that? He simply means this. Our God sees and our God hears everything that goes on in this world. And if you have been mistreated, if somebody promised you something and didn't give it to you, what James tells us is this. Don't get mad. Don't get frustrated. Remember, you have a God who sees and hears everything and he is watching as to how you are being treated. Now, 
he goes another step and he says, here's what you need to do. When that happens to you, here's what you do. You wait on the Lord. You wait on the Lord until the Lord intervenes. That's what he tells them. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Remember what James told us earlier? He tells us that our money will be a testimony against us. Now watch this. Clutching riches can cost you eternity. In other words, what James is telling us is this. If materialism has attached itself to your heart, if you're more worried and you're living by the fact that he who has the most toys wins, guess what? James says you need to be aware that something has grabbed the hold of your heart, and what you need to be aware of is this. There's a cost, and the cost could be your eternal, your eternal destiny. So here's what James wants us to know. Very simple. So what will your money say about you? How will your money testify about you? Now we know that God keeps track of everything. In fact, Psalm 56 verse eight tells us that he keeps track of every tear that we shed. Do you think he's not gonna be concerned and take care or pay attention to how we use the gifts that he's given us, including money? And James tells us, he says, your money, if you've put your faith in that, guess what? Your money will testify against you. In other words, maybe you had the money to pay and you didn't. The Lord stands watching at the door. Or maybe it is on you're on the other side and you know what? Somebody took advantage of you and you got cheated. You know what James says? Don't worry about it. The Lord stands at the door. But our money will be a testimony against us or for us. I want you to remember this. Our finances has always been a gospel issue. Everybody clear on that? You know how you know that you are spiritually mature? One of the ways we do that is by how you use your money. All right, let's go on. Now James goes to verses 7 through 12. And in verses 7 through 12, he gives us some very good wisdom. Look at this. He says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. All right, now, here's what's happening. So James now begins to change his focus, and he puts his focus on his original readers. And the reason he puts his focus on the original readers, these people who were a part of his church until they were spread throughout the region, is because they were the ones who were experiencing being taken advantage of by the rich. 
And so what James is saying to them is this. So what happens when somebody rips me off? What happens when I've done everything the Bible tells me that I'm supposed to do to represent myself as a Christian? What happens when I've done everything that I'm supposed to do? I've done it according to the Bible, and you know what? I've come to the point where there's no more discourse, and now I just have to sit here and feel like somebody's ripped me off. And James' answer to that is this. He just says, okay, here's what you do. You just wait until the Lord intervenes but he doesn't stop there. Did you hear what he said? He said, don't just wait until the Lord intervenes. He says, start looking for ways in which he's going to intervene. You see, that's the issue. Don't just say, okay, well, the Lord said he's going to intervene. No, look for the ways that he's going to intervene. Now, you may be thinking, well, how do you do that? Thanks for asking, because James tells us, and here's what he tells us. It's just like a farmer. A farmer plows his field, he plants his seed, and then he looks for the rains to come. You you know what that feels like, right? I was lucky. I grew up, my grandfather was a farmer, and I remember he would plant everything, but he would always be looking for the rains. How did he do that? Well, he'd look at the farmer's almanac. He would read the paper. He would look at the newspaper. When we would go outside, he'd look up in the sky and say, oh, look at the cloud. It looks like it could rain. You see, my grandfather, who was a farmer, always knew he was looking for the rain. Why? Because he knew the rain was going to come. And that's what James is telling you and I. He says, when you've gone through something and someone has taken advantage of you, and you feel like you've been ripped off, and you feel like you have been mistreated, he says, you simply remember that the Lord sees what's going on and that he will intervene, but look for it to happen. And then he goes on and he tells us, while you're waiting for the rains, while you're waiting for the Lord to even the score, this is what James tells us, live above reproach. That's hard, isn't it? I don't know of a feeling that makes me feel more angry is that when I feel that somebody has had the upper hand on me or somebody has taken advantage of me. And here's what James tells me. He goes, Bob, don't worry about it. Just remember, you serve a God who's going to intervene. He's watching over everything. But here's what he needs you to do. He needs you to live above reproach. In other words, Bob, you need to grow up. You're not on milk anymore. Remember, you need to act the way God wants you to act. And how does God want you to act? You just remember, God's going to take care of it, and you go on and you live your life. You have a smile on your face, and you just let everybody know you're not worried about anything. You're not going to talk bad about anybody. You're not going to whine. You're not going to complain. You're simply going to live above reproach, and by doing that, you're going to shine for me. Now look at this. In James 5.11, it says, As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. God takes care of his kids. The Bible tells us that God watches over his righteous, and God's promise is he will always meet our needs. It may not be in the time when you exactly want it to happen, but his promise is he will always meet your needs. And he says, look at the example here. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. 
They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than he did the former part. Now, I'm not saying that God's always going to come back and he's going to give you twice as much as you had before, but God is always going to come and stand by your side. The book of Exodus says, the Lord will fight for you. All you need to do is to stand firm. All right, now, James closes out the book. And he closes out the book, and here's what he says. He says, um, he said, what I want to do is I want to ask you a question, and the question that I want to ask you is this, is, so how do you practice your religion? And I want, to, I want to say that to you, church. So how do you practice your religion? When you come to church on Sunday, do you just come to church on Sunday, and that's your religious day, and the rest of the week you live like the rest of the world? Because that's not the way it's supposed to be. You see, we come to church on Sunday mornings to be encouraged, to encourage one another, to get the strength and the power that we need to live a life so we can live a life in the light that Jesus Christ has given to us. We're supposed to be different, and when the world sees us, they can see there's something different about you. And so what James does now is he simply says this. Now I want to show you the importance of what it means to be the body of Christ I want you to learn about what it means to have intimacy within the body of Christ. I want you to understand what it means to have ownership within the body of Christ. And here's basically one of the things that he says. He says this, it's all about the table that you eat at. You see, when I go into a home, my goal is to get to the table in the kitchen. You know why? Because that's where the family sits. That's where the decisions are made. And you know what? That's the way it is within the church. God wants us to sit at his table. But when we sit at his table, you know why we sit at the table? Because he wants us to look across the table into one another's eyes. And he wants us to experience that intimacy that he has created us to experience. Because when I look into your eyes, I see when you hurt, and I see when you're excited, and you see when I'm hurt, and you see when I'm excited. And you know what happens? We share this relationship, and you know what happens? We become a family, looking out for one another and for one another's needs. That table is the communion table. It's the holy communion table. When we come into this table, you know what we do? We come together and what we do is we say one another when we partake of the body, when we take of the blood of Jesus, what we're saying to one another is that, you know what unites us? His name is Jesus. And as I am taking this, what I am proclaiming is that, you know what? I'm proclaiming Jesus' name until he comes. And by doing that, we encourage one another. But it all begins by understanding we're all part of the family and this family stays together in the good times and in the bad times. And then James goes into a big, long list of what it means to have skin in the game. And you know what he calls it? He calls it prayer. You see, here's the thing is that one of the things that we've started doing again that I love is I love when we invite people to come forward who are going through difficult times. That's what the family does. That's what the body of Christ does and you know what the prayer is? The prayer is, is that when they come up here, that there's somebody here to meet them or to come from, from the church family who knows them to come up and to pray with them. This is when we get down and we are close and we are ear to ear and eye to eye and we ask each other, so what can I pray for you about? This is intimacy. 
This is where we create relationships. This is when we say to one another, I know about you. I know the things that you're going through. I know the good and the bad, and I still love you. And you know me. You know the good. You know the bad, and you still love me. And that's what gets God's attention. I think transparency is what God is looking for us in his body. And not just transparency with him, but transparency that we have with one another. In other words, we need to have those people in our lives. And the younger you can start out with, the easier it is. We need to have those people in our lives that we can look eye to eye and say, you know what, I really messed up. I really did some stupid things. And you know what? The Bible tells us that when we confess those sins to one another, guess what happens? There's a transparency, and God sees that. And the Bible tells us, man, the prayers of a righteous man are powerful. Don't you want your prayers to be heard? Don't you want your prayers to be answered? It begins by being a part of the body of Christ and being transparent with God and maybe one or two other people. My prayer for us as a church is that as we continue to grow as a body, is that we grow in our love for one another, for the family. And that when we see somebody walk up here, we don't care about what the rest of the people are saying or what they might think. We're going up there because we know what they're going through and we've experienced with them the difficulties or the joys that they're going through. And we come together and we pray with them. I'll never forget when the Lord decided to take Pastor Jeff with him to be at home with him during the COVID season. Do you remember that? That was a hard time for our church. And you know what I was thankful for? I was thankful for, first of all, that there was a life group that wrapped their arms around that family and they just loved them. But here's what we need to remember. Jeff is with Jesus, yes, but you know what? The family's still here. They still need our help. They still need our encouragement. That's what the body of Christ is all about. Every Sunday when we gather, we come and we find those that need to be encouraged, those need to be loved, and we walk with them and say, I'm here to walk with you. That's what makes us unique. That's what makes us something that the world says, I want some of that.